So this idea of having a relevant health message for our global church is something that I think would be important to each of you. Hopefully, I think it was important to our founders. And um, really, it's taking a look at you know, the blessings that we have received as, as modern United States American Seventh-day Adventists. You guys know the Loma Linda, or the, the Loma Linda Blue Zone, right? And Time Magazine here had How to Live Longer and Better. And in here, again, we're, we're mentioned as this, um, this hot spot of health and longevity, you know? So we know that our health message has had tremendous benefits. And so as I joined the church, I, I wondered, you know, is it benefiting the people that Jesus was most concerned about? The orphans, the widows, the poorest of the poor, the hungry, the prisoners. Um, are we sure that the blessings we're receiving are being well spread throughout the world? And so I feel like Farm Stew is a, a gift that God offered to me. Sylvia and I were back in Uganda together in uh, February and March, and uh, she caught the buzz. She actually had learned about it in a session like this about a little over a year ago. We've been staying in touch because I was intrigued by her nutrition and then also being raised partially in Africa. I felt like we would make a great team. So this is our first time being a team together. Um, so the relevant health message for the global church, uh, we really focus on this idea of Jesus saying that he came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And um, as we look at what does abundant look, life look like, we do know that there's these hot spots of longevity. And my training in public health uh, always causes me to go back and look at, like, what are the root contributing factors for both health and also disease and, and death or hunger, um, the things that plague our world? And so how can we get more of the things that are a blessing and then minimize the things that are part of the curse? So when we think about abundant life, I think about it in a public health way. There's a lot of people talking about abundant life, though. <laughs> um, one of them is, is Joel Olstein, also in the Christian world, um, also talking about abundant life. And, and it says, eight ways to invite blessings into your world. Give, and your gifts will come back to you. We know that there's some truth in that, but we also know that um, there's some lies, Right? He says, I know these principles are true because they work for me and my wife. And this is his $8.5 million home. <laughs> That's not the abundant life that we're talking about with Farm Stew. In fact, when you look on a global scale, if you make $33,000 a year, you're in the top 5% of the world for income. $33,000 a year. So we're in a really different... Um, scale even than most people in the world because so many people in the world and, and you know, billions are living on less than a dollar a day. And so Farms 2 is a message that we believe can benefit each and every one of us, but it's particularly designed for the poorest of the poor. But what we did was we didn't start with the poorest of the poor. We started with looking at the blue zones of what are these characteristics that led these different cultures to abundant life and how can we extract them or, or apply them in the context of where the poorest of the poor live? So these are three of the circles. We have Loma Linda, Sardinia, Italy, and Okinawa, Japan. And you guys know the Venn diagram. Um, so the things in the middle are the things in red, and they are showing the characteristics that are common between all three of these cultures. So we have strong families, 
Does the Bible support a strong family? Yeah, no smoking, we call that temperance. A plant-based diet, no surprise there for us, but a lot of people might be surprised by that. Constant activity, meaning that they're not necessarily going to the gym, but they are people that are um, incorporating activity into their regular life. And then we have social engagement. Now that could be going to church, that could be being part of like a women's group. In Japan, they have all these strong women's groups that meet for decades and decades throughout their lives. Um, but church alone, their Harvard research says that going to church once a week, you can add seven years to your life. So that one simple act that we as Adventists commit to worship corporately can add seven years. Um, legumes, that's, I have a secret bean agenda and it's, it's no longer secret. But I like to say there's power in the pulse. Pulse is kind of the family of, of uh, plants that are highly uh, nutritional, very high in protein, and they also put nitrogen into the soil, which, as we'll talk about, that's a really, really important thing, especially in Africa, where soils are very depleted. Also, they are doing strong, there's a lot of strong women, so societies where the women are not oppressed. Um, they're out in the sun. We were just talking about that. They're gardening. They're eating whole grains, culturally isolated. Um, you know, sometimes that might sound like a negative connotation, but when, when we think about holiness or being sanctified or set apart, that's what I think about, you know, someone that's not participating in all the ways of the world. And then high soy, I want to point that out because we do use soy in farm stew. We use non-GMO, whole grain soy, but it's uh, an, an incredible food. No alcohol and faith. Okay, so those are some of the common characteristics. I'll just mention the wine. Of course, we know that the benefits from that dark red wine, it's actually from the grapes, not the alcohol. So we can get the same benefit by eating dark red foods. Okay, so we'll move on. There's a lot we can apply, though, to ourselves right there. So our traditional health message as developed by Loma Linda in the 60s, it's been wonderful, and I'm not taking anything away from it. But new start, nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, air, rest, trust in God. If we walked up to these ladies from Eastern Africa who've just walked half a mile to go get water, and they're going to do that a couple times a day, and they do that every day of their lives, do you think they would be really um, benefited by us telling them to go get sunshine, fresh air, and exercise? No. <laughs> right. So that's kind of where the idea came up. Welcome, welcome, come on in. <laughs> The idea came up as, you know, maybe we have a few letters we could play with. Um, I, love, I love New Start because of its simplicity. I actually, my master's in public health is from Johns Hopkins. And when I learned about New Start, I thought that one, that one principle, you know, the eight principles held in there, the fact that I can actually remember it and apply it to my life, that's worth all of everything I learned in that degree. So that's where the idea for Farm Stew is. Let's make something really simple that people can learn and apply and have a big impact. So, for example, also, if we tell this, this man, you know, you really need to eat a plant-based diet, you know. In Zimbabwe, where he lives, in order to eat five fruits and vegetables a day, it would take him 52% of his income if he had to buy just five fruits and vegetables a day. So that's obviously cost prohibitive for someone to be able to just go buy what they need to eat. 
Also, when we talk about water, these ladies are, are having to go to a, a contaminated water source. It's not going to do us a lot of good if we tell them to go drink water, and yet this is the water that they're having to give to their children. So we want to really help equip people with a message that is relevant to them. This is a bit of a complicated chart, but bear with me. This is looking at income, okay? So anywhere from making $1,000 a year all the way to $128,000 a year, okay? It's color-coded by continent. And then we have life expectancy on the um, vertical axis. <laughs> I had to think about that for a second. Okay, so we go anywhere from 55 years up the very top would be 80, okay? So what continent, what do you observe about what's going on here in terms of life expectancy and income? Okay, well, the countries in blue are going to be the one with the lowest life expectancy and the lowest, lowest income. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's all African. Yeah. So, so Uganda's right about here. We don't need to necessarily get into the countries, but what you can see here is the trend. Income is correlated with life expectancy, as you can see. Adventists would be way up to the ceiling, basically. North American Adventists with our 90-year life expectancy now. And I guess what I'd like to make a note of is, you know, if most of sub-Saharan Africa, meaning below, you know, the, the Saharan desert, um, if most of sub-Saharan Africa, their life expectancy is under 60, I don't think God is amused with those types of disparities between his children. And so what we hope to do is really focus on some of these parts of the world where people um, have a lot of potential and when you think about the, the total member involvement and the baptisms that are happening in some of these countries, think about what they could do with 30 more years or 50% more life expectancy. Also, as we know, life expectancy is most impacted by infant and child death. And so these low numbers represent a lot of kids dying too young. One of the factors that contributes to that is another slide that takes a little bit, but it's HIV infection rates, okay? So this is income again on the horizontal axis, but looking at HIV infection rates. And so you can see again, Africa again in the blue is totally disproportionately impacted by HIV. We don't hear as much about HIV as we used to, but it hasn't gone away. And each and every one of the deaths that's caused by HIV, it, it results usually in orphans and widows, the very people that Jesus told us most to care about. So again, we, that's kind of what brought me to Africa. Like I said at the start, I do speak Spanish, I speak Portuguese, I worked in my 20s in Latin America and never imagined I would be drawn to Africa, but the numbers drew me there. That's the continent that's been left behind in large part. Um, again, this chart looks at world hunger. And you see the darker the colors, the more um, specific the childhood hunger is. And so again, it's disproportionately in Africa. We do have countries in South America and in Southeast Asia that are also impacted. And one last um, chart of the, of the world, and this is the one that impacts me the most, is the global rates of malnourished children. So we know that a lot of our children in America, there is hunger and there is malnutrition for sure. But in terms of the type of malnutrition that actually causes stunting, does anybody know what stunting is? Have you heard of that term before? Okay. 
Yeah, so their growth, it's their height for their age, and it's shorter. So a lot of people look at these kids and they say, they don't look malnourished. So I brought my little Russian stacking dolls here because you can look at kids, and if you don't know what the age they are, you might look at a kid that looks like this one and say, they don't look malnourished, but maybe they're supposed to be this big, right? And that's a, this is a little bit of a stretch, but that would be two standard deviations off. You know, they're supposed to be this size and they're this size. Well, with stunting, what that means is that there's lifelong implications with this. And this is showing stunted children. So in North America, we have 2.3. And you know what? Any child that's going hungry, that's too many children, right? But in Sub-Saharan Africa, and also in Southeast Asia, we're hovering around 34% of the children. That's one in three children that are two standard deviations off in terms of their nutrition. And that impacts their potential for their whole life, both intellectually, their earning potential, and then also there's health problems related to that. And sadly, we often show pictures of the adults that we're working with, and they look obese. So people think they're not malnourished, they're obese. But you know what? Stunting in early childhood leads to obesity as adulthood. And also, a poor diet can often also lead to obesity. Yeah. So a lot of focus goes into like hospital-based care. And this was about a year and a half ago. I was with uh, another one of our board members in Uganda and with our team. And we had the chance to, to speak in a malnutrition ward in a hospital. We spoke to about 80 mothers, and these were just two of them. And I found out like two or three days later that two of the babies had died that we were with. And we see really severely malnourished kids. But the thing is, it really is too late. When you, by the time they're in the malnutrition ward, it, there's a lot of damage that's already been done. Some of it's obviously reversible. That's why they're there. We want them to get the care. But our focus with Farms 2 is to go out into the rural areas and to reach them and to prevent the damage that's being done. So we are proposing Farms 2 would be a God-sized experiment. <laughs> and we have a church now with 20 million members. In the greater scheme of the whole global population, that might not seem like a lot, but 20 million members that can be mobilized and are passionate and are missional and are focused, we could do a lot. So the question, I guess, that I was pondering and that we've, we've asked you to ponder today is that can our health message help the poor have an abundant life? And if we think it can, then we got to do some work, right? We got to get to work. We got to first figure out where are the poor? And so the World Health, I'm sorry, the World Food Program defines the hungriest people in the world as um, there's 795 million of them. 98% of them are living in developing countries. 75% of them are living in rural areas in Africa and Asia. And 70% of them are farmers. So you think they're farmers. Why are they hungry? Why can't they grow their food? But I'm just curious, how many of you have a garden? Yay, I'm happy to see the garden. Okay, keep your hands up. How many of you eat only what you can grow in your garden? <laughs> right? Yeah, we wish we could. And I mean, we do have a funny little thing called winter that they don't have in the tropics. But nevertheless, without training, without proper um, management skills, without a, without a market for your crops, you really would have a hard time. Sorry. No worries. You'd really have a hard time living on only what you can grow. 
And if there's no jobs and that's your only option, that's the, that's the situation for most of the world's hungry poor. So this little boy I met, and I actually just wrote a letter about him. Um, he was just down the road from a Seventh-day Adventist church, a quite big Seventh-day Adventist church where actually Ted Wilson was a few months ago. And uh, his mom had died. His dad was out working the sugarcane fields, and he was left with a little hunk of sugarcane and under a little plastic tarp. And he and his brother were out there just all day, every day. And um, this was in a slum area that was in, in the city where we have a team that's based now. And our team was able to go back a couple weeks later and train in this, in this area. We don't concentrate often as much in the slum areas because we've found that some slum areas, actually a lot of missionaries come in because they're convenient and easy to get to. Um, and it actually pulls people from the rural areas to congregate in the slums because that's where the missionaries go, that's where white people go, and there's resources coming. So most of our focus is out in the rural areas because as Sister White talks about like that whole rural country living, you know, we believe that that's the place where people are most likely to be able to have an abundant life. And keeping their families intact out in their rural villages is the healthiest thing for them. So um, this whole adventure started about two and a half years ago when I had the chance to go to Uganda with a USAID-funded project. At the time, I just was there for about three weeks, and I thought I'd never crossed my mind I would start anything. <laughs> it was just, just an opportunity for me to go share my nutrition skills and have the government pay for me to do it. And I thought, you know what? This could be very interesting. I have kids of my own. They were you know, school-aged and had a little independence. And I, I just never imagined what God would do. Um, but you know what? Our church members and meeting our church members changed all that, really. Um, we did a lot of listening and really tried to learn about what people were doing. I had been asked to go there, actually, and focus on soybeans. And um, we, they, they are already raising soybeans in this area, but they were just selling it off as a cash crop. I don't know about you, but I live in Illinois, and I'm just actually surrounded by soybeans and corn. <laughs> but nobody goes out and makes dinner out of what they're growing in the field anywhere around me. And so it's the same thing for them. They were, they were eating some of the soybeans, but they weren't processing it in a way that they could give to the kids. So what you see in the middle there is soy milk. And amazingly, the people have zero idea that you can get milk out of a soybean. And when they find out that you can, they are just fascinated. And in terms of evangelism, <laughs> it's actually one of the best tools for opening doors that you can imagine. I don't know, Sylvia, if you want to share at all about your experience with the team making, making oh. soy milk. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's just really fascinating being a health educator myself and having done cooking classes. The team shows up in the village and it's the neatest thing that's happened many times recently. And so they go do mobilizing, as they say, and they go around and they grab everybody who will come. And they come and they come to the center of, or under the tree or whoever's yard that wanted to, was willing to be hospitable and let them do that. And they bring their own pots and pans and their knives and their cups and their plates and their firewood. And they contribute all of that to the class that's happening, and they participate. And it's really pretty exciting. And everybody is engaged. I guess that's a good way to say it. And they're, they're open. 
And <laughs> how did you make your home? So actually in the refugee camps where we're working now, I will show you, um, this is just a map of where our three teams are right now, actually four teams. We have um, some that are working with refugees from South Sudan, and then two teams in Uganda. The South Sudan team is actually based in Uganda, but it's in the very northern edge near Sudan where there's a million refugees from South Sudan. And the church is very present there. There's many of those refugees are actually Adventists. Then we have a team in Zimbabwe also. So they are nicely spread. We have a lot more places we'd love to be. And we have calls from a lot of other countries wanting us to start teams in their countries. Actually, Sylvia and I were at the East Central Division, had an ASI meeting in February, and there was 11 countries there, and pretty much someone from every single one of the 11 countries asked us, can you have farms through here, please, please, please? And we would love to be able to say yes sooner than later. So back a little bit to the nutrition side. Um, you know, as we're trying to learn what are the poor eating, and, and this is kind of a good summary of predominantly their calories are coming from white, starchy carbohydrates, and often those carbohydrates are highly refined. And so this right here is a form of maize or corn. It's just the white part. And in you know, Kenya, it's ugali. In Uganda, it's posho. In uh, Zimbabwe, it's sadza. But all over the continent right now, it's making up about 30 to 50% of people's calories. And it's basically just a white starch that metabolizes the same way a white sugar would. And so you can imagine the rates of diabetes and whatnot are growing. So when people are eating like that, um, one of the things that happens, like I said, the obesity in the adults, and then you can see this, this child, the hair is very, very light and hardly coming in. And you know, black children should have black hair. When it's a light brown like that, it's a, it's a good indication of some type of protein or, or micronutrient deficiency. These are some of the other surveys that we did as we were just getting started to look at hunger. And these are eight questions that are developed by the um, United Nations uh, Food and Agriculture Organization, a survey looking at hunger and food insecurity. And all eight, it's about, you know, in the last 12 months was there time when you had to skip meals, when you couldn't buy nutritious food, when you went hungry, when you spent a whole day without eating. Yes, 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 right? And then we also do 24-hour um, dietary recalls to ask people what did they eat. And this is actually fairly typical. No food for lunch, some sweet potatoes, which sadly these are generally white sweet potatoes. For supper, a half a plate, and then one cup of tea for breakfast. And that's it. Literally, there's a lot of people, if they're getting one meal a day, that's a good thing, and it's mostly starchy foods. So we went to the Bible and decided we would start there. So all of our training is Bible-based, and even when we're being invited into Muslim girls' schools or into mosques, which is the case, our teams in Uganda are in 80% Muslim areas, and we've been invited into a lot of different um, churches we were Actually, I was talking with Edward, our Uganda team leader for Iganga, which is the city there, and um, he, they were just at a Pentecostal church <laughs> this week, and then also the Church of Uganda, which is kind of the Episcopalian-type version of church. And he says, you know, when we come just to share the Bible or want to preach, we would never get inside these churches. But when we come with this message and the practical hands-on demonstrations, we're just getting invitations after invitations. So... So the message, as you can see on the back of your card, is farm stew. 
And so these are the eight letters that we feel that God gave us that are the most applicable to how to impact their life. And the, the question, if, if people are wondering, should we have a health message for the poor? Isn't our church about prophecy? Isn't it about the three angels' message? I just want to say, you know, Alan White made it very, very clear that concern for the poor matters to our church. She says that the 58th chapter of Isaiah is to be regarded as a message for this time. It is to be given over and over again. She says, what saith the Lord in the 58th chapter of Isaiah? The whole chapter is of the highest importance. Those are the same words she used to describe the three angels' message, the highest importance. And so just to share with you a snippet from Isaiah 58, but I really encourage you to check it out. Uh, the whole chapter is set up as an if and then. There's three ifs and three thens that are basically conditions and then promises if we fulfill those conditions. It starts out saying, cry out, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people to turn their transgressions and their sins. And so the, the sin that is most spoken about in Isaiah 58 is lack of concern for the poor. It says, if you satisfy your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, and it talks also about bringing the hungry poor into your household or even into your household of faith, it says, then the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a well-watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. There's also promises in that chapter of your healing springing up quickly, uh, Isaiah 58, 8 is a verse that's so special to me. It talks about the glory of the Lord going before you and him having your rear guard. <laughs> so I feel like, you know what? He's got your back and your front. You're covered. And, and so I want to be able to claim these promises, and I want our church to be able to claim these promises. But the conditions for those promises are that we have a, a heart of generosity towards the poor. So, um, so, the hypothesis for the experiment is that God has a way for the poor to thrive. And so we've been going now for about two and a half years. We have church members in Uganda and Zimbabwe, and then other people just taking this information and starting to apply it on their own. Um, we've trained 34,725 people so far. We have very, very detailed data systems that God just blessed us abundantly from the very beginning. There's a woman in my little tiny town of 700 people that happens to be a um, really national expert in a data system that she set up where the team can actually use their phone to be putting in uh, data. And so we have paper sign-in sheets and then everything reported from every class that they go out and teach. And we don't count even a session like this wouldn't count, just one hour. It's really when you're doing really hands-on full day work. So our trainings actually average eight and a half hours. So this is a full day in-depth training. So just looking at this map again, we saw these areas of the world where the, the malnutrition is um, concentrated. And then I want us to look at our global divisions, okay? So we see that the areas where malnutrition was concentrated are kind of in these three areas here, 
in Africa, um, so the West Central Africa, East Central Division, and the Southern African Indian Ocean Division. And then we also had a concentration of malnutrition in those areas. I'm gonna flip back so you can just kind of see what I'm talking about. It's these areas, and then these areas here is where it's very concentrated with hunger and malnutrition. The wonderful thing about that is just looking at the African divisions alone, we have over eight million members. And you know, these numbers are growing. In, I think, 2015, the East Central Division had 10 times the baptisms that the North American Division did. So these areas are growing. So I'm guessing these numbers are actually much higher than this. Um, but it, those three divisions alone represent 40% of our global church membership. So we need to have a relevant health message for, for these places. And so telling, especially the rural people, to go get fresh air, exercise, and sunshine, we can see now why that might not be the most relevant health message for them. So in terms of the procedures for kind of running this experiment, we do have guidance from Sister White. Again, it says the formation of small companies as a basis of Christian effort is a plan that has been presented to me by one who cannot err, with the one being capitalized, that being Jesus himself. And what I was so excited about when I read this quote is um, I feel like the Holy Spirit just is so amazing because I really was committed from the beginning of this that we would have these small teams. My hope is that each team would have five people so that they could go out two by twos and then have one person that was a manager and oversight and would also go out but also, you know, kind of organize the group. Um, and the, the goal of what they were doing is really well described by the next quote. It says, we did what we could to develop our land and encouraged our neighbors to cultivate the soil that they too might have fruits and vegetables of their own. We taught them how to prepare the soil, what to plant, and how to take care of the growing produce. They soon learned the advantages of providing for themselves in this way. So it's kind of like a, a vegetarian version of teach a man to fish, right? <laughs> So um, I was so excited. I didn't even know about some of these books. Like I said, I've, I'm, I've been now a committed attender of the church for over four years, but a fairly new baptized member of the church, so I'm still getting to know these writings. And it was actually a Zimbabwean um, who told me about these particular quotes, and they just spoke so much to me, like, wow, God is already doing this in, in what we've been asked to do. One is not from Patriarch's Prophecy. It's actually oh, seven testimonies, 21 and 22. You told me to fix that, and I yes. goofed that up. Because the other thing that we really feel committed to do is the training of trainers. So uh, we really believe in local people doing the work, and not even just Ugandans or Zimbabweans, but the local people from those communities. So whenever we go out as a team, like, for example, this is Stephen. He was one of the first Adventist members he was already actually making some creative things with soy. So when I first met him, he was very intrigued to travel with me because he was already a soy entrepreneur himself. And um, when we go out, though, we, we leave these training packs with the, with the community leaders so that they can go out and train others. And we're starting to really formalize that process. Whereas the, so the paid staff are called farm stew trainers, and then the people at the village level that go do home visitations are called farm stew educators. And we're really making a concerted effort 
for the next three years to really equip those educators and to track the changes that they're making in the homes in their community. So again, um, we have clear procedures. God's solution for poverty is God's people equipping God's people. And that's what we really are committed to do. She says, when the right methods of cultivation are adopted, there will be far less poverty than now exists. We intend to give the people practical lessons upon the improvement of the land and thus induce them to cultivate their land now lying idle. If we accomplish this, we shall have done a good missionary work. So we're excited about this, that it really can be a good missionary work. And of course, the, the word needs to be preached, the Bible studies need to be given, you know, all of the different doctrinal things that we believe in. We don't neglect any of that, but we try to partner with the local church um, so that our health message, which is all Bible-based, can be a right arm of the gospel. And you'll see that's, that's happening. Uh, one more thing about the, our focus on how we, we decide our priorities. We really want to focus on that first 1,000 days of life. And the wonderful thing is it's defined at conception, the point at which I believe God would define life's beginning. So it's 270 days of pregnancy plus three, 365, or sorry, plus two, 365. So it's from conception until two years. That's the time at which you have this window of opportunity to make the most lifelong impacting impact on um, a, a child's health and development. So in order to make sure that they're ready for day one, who do we need to target? The mother. Yeah, the mother, but she doesn't know she's a mother, so she's, she's a girl, yeah. right? So we need to do things for adolescent girls as well if we're going to have them prepared for day one to have a healthy habitat in the womb. So again, we look at farm stew. We'll jump into some of the letters. Um, farming. Uh, this is not what your typical African farm looks like. <laughs> and we hope that we can change that. So we talk about just using scripture to teach the lessons we want to teach. Submit to the Lord and he will make your paths straight from Proverbs 3. And, you know, this idea of straight paths is so important. We, we actually use a farming curriculum that was developed in Zimbabwe because we want to be able to say, hey, this is African. This is, we're not importing this. That's important to people in order to embrace it. So the beds are all 110 centimeters across, and the rows are 40 centimeters. And you should see the pictures. I mean, you've seen some of them, but they are doing a great job of um, strictly doing it this way and also heavily mulched. We'll talk about that a bit with rest, but... We want to make sure that the soil is always covered and that helps preserve the nutrients and also the, the microbiotic life and the moisture. Yeah, exactly. So another verse that's helpful, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. So we know in that parable, there's the pathway and we know that the seeds that fell on the pathway don't, don't produce anything. And in a lot of these African farms, there's no concept of a pathway. There's no concept of not compacting the soil. But when you, when you make a very clear delineation between the pathway and the cultivated area, you can really increase productivity quite well. Um, this, is, uh, this is also, we talk a lot about attitude. Um, we talk about generosity. We talk about discipline. We talk about optimism. There's other things we might even add to that because we know attitude has a lot to do with our trust in God and our choices. 
And also just the idea that six days we labor and work. Yes, we are Sabbath keepers, but there are six days for, for work. Um, this is a, an interesting thing for attitude. This is Fatima and David, and this is our trainer, Robert. Robert is an agronomist. Fatima is pretty excited about having a vegetable garden, but she didn't use the vegetable garden at all. <laughs> she actually thought that gardening was a curse, and actually a lot of people do over there. They, they I think, maybe are even raised with it like a punishment, <laughs> and so it's like that's the last thing that they want to do. And there's a lot of... Um, you know, prestige about moving off to the city and getting a job. And so a lot of people just leave the rural areas and they just think that the, there's nothing going on in the rural areas. It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Me trying to get my kids to go out and weed <laughs> with me in the garden. I had them out there so much when they were younger. And now it's, you know, sometimes you got to motivate. Um, but Fatima is really exciting because she says that now that she started vegetable gardening, she had this turning point and she really feels like she has a sense in, of, of purpose in her community now. And it's so exciting to me now because she's, they're selling vegetables. She ha they have vegetables that are at all different stages of the game um, in terms of the production from you know, just a nursery type thing to ready for market sales. And they're able to send their kids to school. And I don't know if you notice, he has no shoes on. He's actually a cobbler. He makes shoes. But they maybe only have one pair, so they don't garden in their shoes generally. They preserve their shoes for, for the um, times when they need to be out in society. And gardening is just a home thing. So that's David and Fatima, one of the people that make me smile. Um, rest. We talk about rest, the nightly and the weekly. We do talk about Sabbath, even if we're out in a Muslim community. Um, but we also talk about just making sure that the soil is always covered. Out in nature, like the forest where all the trees are growing, you never see bare soil. And we really discourage um, seeing bare soil in the garden as well. And a lot of these areas are dealing with climate change. Um, and so they, their rains are a lot more erratic than they used to be. And it's, that's really struggle a struggle for them, especially... You can imagine, sometimes it's hard for us to go out and water our garden when we have a hose. And, you know, if you had to walk to the river to get that water, you know, you really want to preserve all the moisture that you can. Um, with the meals, we really focus on the whole foods, plant-based diet. And one of the things I think that God has given us as a gift is just some different simple, simple ways to sort of plant the gospel as well as this message. So we talk about how each and every seed is really a picture of the one true God, that there's three parts in one, and that you could never grow a seed with any one of those parts removed. And then nutritionally, we know that a whole food or a whole seed is a lot more beneficial for us than just a refined part of it. And then also the dark colors are so important. And so we want the plate to go from the white that you saw before to something where they're using maybe millet or sorghum, like one of the traditional African small grains that have a lot more micronutrients and protein. Always focusing on the dark leafy greens and also as much as possible the, the orange foods. And we'll share about that a bit. But again, this is the whole family of pulses. So you can see there's a million different 
not a million, but many, many different types of pulses, those, those legumes that are so important. Um, with sanitation, we, we focus a lot on hand washing, on latrines, but then also with that idea of reaching the, the young girls, one of the most important things for the health and well-being of the next generation is how long a girl can stay in school. And if they don't have a, a way to deal with their menstrual cycle in a hygienic and, and protected way, they will drop out of school. And so we are actually, we share these Afropads. Um, they're actually made in Uganda by Ugandan women. It's a company that employs, I think, 120 Ugandan women. And so we actually buy these there. In Zimbabwe, we're trying to figure out how to make them ourselves and trying to source the waterproof fabric. But I can pass those around, but they, um, these are not used. They're dirty from African soil, but they're, you can maybe pass one one way. But, but they make this absolute world of difference in the lives of the girls. We now have two years of, of you know, financial data under our belt. We, we run very low cost here, very, very low cost. Like last year, our whole budget was $60,000, and we had seven staff over there, so you can imagine. <laughs> and um, so we've, we do have that it's about $15 to help a family start a garden, 37 to sponsor one of those all-day hands-on classes where we're going way out into the village with several trainers. And then also we have now dedicated our staff to um, each having nine villages that they're really committed to work with over the next three years to really try to transform the homes into being farms to homes, certified farms to homes. So for each letter, they would have an element. For example, the gardens, that home would have a garden that was producing three or more kinds of vegetables. Um, for the uh, temperance, we would really assure that they were not having addictive behaviors. For sanitation, they would have a latrine. For water, they would have a hand-washing station. So different things where we want to get these villages sort of moving along a path of health and wellness, where it's not just a family, but the whole community is doing that. So we've, we've figured out that for like about $1,000 a year for a three-year commitment, we can transform that village. So we're excited about that opportunity for people. Um, I will go through just to share a little bit some of the enterprise things that we're doing to help small businesses. A lot of the small businesses that are starting are um, food-based businesses, so making and selling soy milk. This is actually a product that they're making out of the residual of the soy beans. So we call it soy mandazi. It's kind of like a fritter that they sell at the marketplace. And we're also, with Enterprise, promoting um, savings clubs. So in, like, you've probably heard of microloans or microcredit. That's been a big um, positive thing in international development. But also communities can start their own savings club. And so we've done that in one community. There was 84 women that pulled together and saved it. It was mostly a Muslim area, but then they were able to, you know, borrow from that fund and start businesses or buy more mortars to make more soy milk. And then lastly, the water, um, really promoting access and consumption of water, and then promoting Jesus as the water of life. So um, like I said, our teams, this is in Uganda. So we have the Iganga team, the Jinja team. This is Lake Victoria. The source of the Nile River <laughs> is right there. And then we have an outreach team way up north, um, and that's where the South Sudanese refugees are. I'm sorry, what? Yes, this is where we've been asked by the Uganda Union, actually, to if we are able to start another team. So we want to get each of these teams up to five people. 
have five here, four here, and right now just three in that team. So we want to get each of the teams fully staffed, um, and that all just requires resources. And we don't want to hire people that we can't keep on. So we, we're just trying to stay ahead of it and hire as we're able. Actually, just last week, we hired our fourth person in the Jinja team. And that was as a result of uh, Lake Union ASI gave us a grant to be able to do that. So that was a huge blessing. And yeah, this area is um, quite notorious for droughts. And it's kind of close to Kenya where the Maasai are. So there's, there's some commonalities in the culture here. And uh, they, the Uganda Union has des really designated as an area of very high priority for our future. So, and then the Zimbabwe team, we have right planted right in the middle in Gweru. Um, and that's where I was with It Is Written as a health evangelist a few years ago and uh, met the people that eventually became our team there. So really wonderful people. We have a 73-year-old uh, pastor, Pastor Black. He's a retired pastor. So these are our teams, uh, the Iganga team, the South Sudan team. Um, her husband is actually the president of the South Sudan Attached Territory. Um, so, I mean, very well, well, well respected in the church and very much being utilized by church leaders as a means of evangelism in these refugee camps. And then the Jinja team, this is Betty, our leader there. And uh, Edward is our founding president. And I'm happy to say this, this team is our... Um, the original five people that started with us two and a half years ago are still with us. So it's pretty amazing. And you know what? These phones are amazing. I'm talking to them on the phone more than I talk with my own family. <laughs> so we have weekly management calls with the teams. And um, yeah, I'll just tell you real quickly about Betty, one of the team leaders for Jinja. Everywhere she goes, <laughs> she makes friends. And this is jackfruit. It's one of the local foods. You guys have had it. It's amazing because the people there done, didn't realize that you could eat it when it's green. This is actually an import from Uganda. A Peace Corps worker is making these. And this is one of my dreams is that we could start some Adventist food companies that would help to, to actually support this work and give some of the profits to, you know, the farm stew trainers. But um, Betty just, we have to sometimes leave room in the back of the car when she goes out because she always gets sent home with a bunch of gifts from the community. Um, the benefits of this, like we don't pay big wages, but Fiona, the first one of the first team members, she was an orphan herself, as was Edward, the, the president. And I found out, you know, just a month into this, she, Fiona started sponsoring her two orphan nephews to go to school. I mean, it's just the, the implications, the, the ripple effect of this is so huge. And um, this is Betty just out in a village, just the kids are eating the jackfruit. We now teach them how to make jackfruit when it's green, which they didn't know you could do. And I'm telling you, these things are like that big and it's like manna from heaven. These people that were only eating a little bit of cassava or a little bit of sweet potato or a little bit of the maize, now they have jackfruit to add to it. They're growing their vegetables. I mean, it's really very cool. So here they are in the villages doing a training. This is their kitchen, the, just a three-stone fire. Um, also in orphanages, we're doing a lot of work in orphanages. A lot of people have started orphanages. Maybe they're getting a little money from abroad, maybe just doing it on their own. They take in all these kids, but they don't really have the means by which to properly take care of them. We have one in that Betty was just telling me about yesterday 
that um, a woman took in 60 developmentally disabled children. She just, she's a Ugandan woman with just a passionate heart for it. And now she's making them soy milk. Like, they won't eat now without soy milk. They, they're making 20 liters a day. And she's seeing these total transformations in the health of these kids and what they're able to do. Um, we're also being invited into prisons. The, the, the Jinja team, again, they just trained um, 47 commanders at the highest level of eastern Uganda. Even um, military officials came. A hundred people came to eat the feast. And all of this is just opening doors to ministry opportunities with, with the least of these. these apparently, these, these women, and we're not allowed to show their faces, so the pictures are blurry, but um, a lot of these women are Adventists from, I think, being converted once they got in to the prison. So it's really exciting. Um, and then also in these refugee camps, it's just, it's amazing. A lot of these cultures coming down from South Sudan, they were herding cultures, so they had animals and they're used to having milk. And since they became refugees, that was completely cut off because that's not in the refugee rations. And when they get milk, it's like they feel like they're home again. You know, it's very cool. And then my favorite is teaching in the mosques. And I mean, we've been invited into a lot of mosques and it's just unbelievable. Really, the, the team members themselves, they've grown up in Uganda and the Christians and the Muslims, they're not fighting there, but they just live two different worlds. And you'll be driving down a road and there'll be nothing but like mud huts. And then all of a sudden you see this like big, gigantic pink building that's like really fancy and it's a mosque and Saudi Arabia is like pretty much funding these mosques so I feel like if we're not putting our resources out to these rural rural areas they are you know they're they're getting there so we have to ask ourselves are we getting there um, I'm going to jump over these things really quick because we're going to save that for tomorrow's session <laughs> so um, you're getting a sneak preview this is more of the nutritional things, and uh, we actually have sessions Thursday, Friday, and I'm sorry, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So you guys can come back. We'll probably talk about a few same things, but different things as well, and hopefully more questions and answers. So again, you can see how we are using what we've learned from the Blue Zones to apply to these people's lives. And just some of the results. Um, before Farms Do Training, did you feed soybeans to your children? You know, some of them said yes, some of them no. What we've learned anecdotally is that they were not giving it to the children, but now they are after the training. And we're really excited about that. Soybeans have all nine of the essential amino acids. And this was an article that I wrote in the Lake Union Herald. A lot of people have questions about soy, and I'm, I'm trying to dispel the, the um, challenges to soy. Um, Again, this is children eating the what they call soy scrambled eggs. We would call tofu with mixed vegetables. But they're very excited about eggs. Most people can't afford eggs. Even if they're raising chickens, they sell the eggs. Um, also, one of the things we were working on is having a compost pile and a separate trash pile. So up in the top, most of them had neither. Now at the bottom, we are moving more and more. We still have a lot of work to do, but having a tra trash and compost a separate is what we're trying to grow. So we have a lot of work to do. This was kind of preliminary research. But you can see that um, here's a compost pile. These are some of the Zimbabwean women that have made their compost pile. And we're really big into compost. It retains 10 times the amount of moisture in the soil than regular, and then it has all the, the life in the soil and the organic matter that can help crops to grow. 
the top university in Uganda has recommended us strongly and is introducing us to other people. And um, we've actually written even a joint grant proposal with, with the top nutrition professor. Um, the impact on life, many, many, many people saying their life has either become excellent or very good or good. Again, we've not given any money. We've not changed their home you know, situation. They're still maybe in a mud hut or whatever, but they're feeling much better about their life. And you know, self-perceived health status is a really important thing. Um, but this is our most important letter. It's from the Eastern Uganda field and saying a vote of appreciation for the tremendous work Farmstu is doing in Eastern Uganda. And, um, and here it's saying the Farmstu program has become the right arm of the gospel to reach out to communities where we don't have an Adventist presence. And in one community, Bulagala, uh, this past December, there was 156 baptisms in a community where we had worked. We brought pads to the girls, We'd done work with the farming group, and, and then the church had come in alongside with us. And we were so excited about that. Um, Kim Bussell from OCI, it's OCI and ASI are kind of partner organizations. He is the Africa field director, and he said that we put on the most simple yet comprehensive cooking school that he's ever seen and talking about our trainers, he said every one of them is interesting, animated, and knowledgeable. They interact and engage in with the people in a way I've not seen before. It was a first-class bush-level presentation. And this is him. In Uganda, they're, in these parts, they're e still eating with their hands, so they're eating out of the common bowl. And this is him with our team. Um, just the results that we really found, you know, a lot of people seeing a large positive improvement in their life, or at least a small positive improvement. So there is power in this health message, and there's power in God's ability to move his people to do that. Um, I'm just going to keep jumping a little bit. So the conclusion to our experiment is that, you know, Farms 2 can help people lead to an abundant life and that our church members are ready to be trained and equipped to share this recipe of abundant life. And um, this quote also from Ministry of Healing, it says, though your resources may not be sufficient to feed thousands, they may suffice to feed one. In the hand of Christ, they may feed many. Like the disciples, give what you have, and Christ will multiply the rest. And so I just get excited about the potential. For example, if we had just one in 100 members of the East Central Division equipped as farm stew trainers, we could have 40,000 staff. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> right now, up in that East Central Division, we have 12. So we could do so much more. So I ask you to really consider praying for us. Also donating, we did talk a little bit about the girls. We can deliver a really good sanitary education and a pack of pads. There's actually four of them. This is just two, but um, a pack of pads that can last for at least a year, probably can be well used for two years, and that's for $10 a girl. Um, and then the gardens, we, have, we can deliver that, helping families start gardens like David and Fatima that I was sharing about for $15 a family, and then the classes are like $37 for the full day training, and then a $1,000 a year for three year commitment to a village kind of take us from start to finish in a village. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.